Hello, I'm co-host Brooklyn Arroyo, and this is 100 Alumni Voices podcast, Stories That Inspire, where we explore the personal and professional journeys of a diverse group of 100 doctoral alumni from Johns Hopkins University. Today, we're joined by Sharish Lala, EDD in Mind, Brain, and Teaching. Hello, how are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to be able to work with you today. So let's just jump right in. And I'd love to hear about what went into you deciding to study about Mind, Brain, and Teaching and why you went down that path. So one of my first loves and passions has been the study of neuroscience. Um, I chose to pursue a career in healthcare in the field of occupational therapy back in the late 90s because of its foundation in the human mind and the human psyche. Mm -hmm. Always been fascinated by it. And that's one of the reasons why when I was pursuing my master's and then decided to go through um, advanced degree in um, mind, brain, and teaching, one of the things that I wanted to do is combine my two passions, one being the study of neuroscience and the brain, and the other being education. And um, my profession of occupational therapy allowed me to utilize the human brain and its functions alongside teaching and training others Mm -hmm. in a manner where I could be more creative. Um, You know, I could infuse a little bit more ingenuity and authenticity in what I did based off of my understanding of how multiple perspectives um, and the context often determines what the human brain does. Mm -hmm. And so that was in a, nutshell the reason why I chose to pursue mind brain and teaching because I knew for a fact that uh, the human brain is such a complex thing but it is also under the influence of so many factors which determine its future and its presence definitely so I think that that's extremely interesting I am actually a neuroscience and cognitive science double major so I am also interested in the human mind and and how it relates to education and teaching as well. So what was some of the work that you did within your EDD and what did that look like for you? So a lot of the work in the EDD program was initially ingrained in learning about, you know, the the research methods and how you can collect data and how can you can collect data which can inform future practice in different contexts. It was mostly in classroom contexts for me at the time because I was teaching in um, an occupational therapy assistant program at a local community college. So I knew for a fact that, you know, I needed to gather evidence to present uh, or support my hypothesis. Um, And besides uh, research methods, we learned a lot about how the human brain 
understands literacy and numeracy mm-hmm. and how in the future, as the brain evolves and grows, the adult brain um, is sort of situated in knowing about different learning preferences, um, knowing about different aspects of the context and stakeholders that inform how we learn, even as adults. And one of the things that I wanted to do is to explore um, creative avenues um, in terms of um, some of our educational delivery. Mm-hmm. And I was very fortunate that I had the opportunity to look at creative learning methods in the form of simulation using mm-hmm. patient actors and standardized patients in my profession to develop learning modules for my students, which could then be used for their workplace clerkships and training. Mm-hmm. Wow. So did you find that within all this work that you did and and now within your career, did you find that the things that you researched have really impacted the work you're doing now or the way that you perceive education now? And what ways did that really influence your work? I think the EDD program at Hopkins helped me understand the importance of leadership and also looking into uh, collaborating within my discipline and outside the discipline Mm -hmm. to inform my practice now and then also in, you know, to help me gather more and more resources as well as have the ability to pursue um, a future career in the profession that I am in uh, with additional knowledge about how learning and teaching uh, in my profession can be benefited overall. Mm-hmm. One of the things I'll be honest with you is that, you know, practitioners such as myself who pursue allied health or healthcare professions don't typically go to school to become educators. Mm-hmm. So we don't learn so much about the educational delivery process, how students learn, what works in the classroom context, what doesn't. And sometimes we are oftentimes teaching like we were taught by our teachers, which is not necessarily perfect. And and what Hopkins did, the education, the EDD program did was help me unlearn some of those behaviors that, you know, sort of are just generational mm-hmm. that you teach like you were taught and then help sort of develop leadership styles and then almost an authentic teaching methodology for myself where mm-hmm. I was not necessarily under the influence of what had happened in the past when mm-hmm. I was a student, but I was trying to meet my learners' needs in the moment. Um, and then also being creative, um, also being innovative when when unexpected challenges such as the pandemic mm-hmm. sort of threw us all in a loop. Mm-hmm. I've learned a lot in terms of handling um, crises in academia. I'm sure all of us have, whether mm-hmm. we are practitioners in healthcare or students or faculty in educational contexts that, you know, this last three years since 2020 have taught us so much on how we can use the opportunities um, to our advantage, despite the extreme polarities mm-hmm. and some of the suffering that we've all endured as a species. 
Definitely. It, it's been a definitely a lot of learning within the past couple of years, adaptability and and all of that. So what did your academic life, you briefly mentioned it, but was it a linear path for you or was there spaces of work experience where you, you know, let's, let's look at that experience for you. So my path was never, you know, sort of um, established in the very beginning. Like I didn't have a very clear cut idea um, mm. when I was in high school as to this was going to be my career path. It was never linear. It was always one of those things where, you know, I, I was one of those very fortunate people to finish uh, my bachelor's in a school in India in, mm-hmm. in occupational therapy where um, in Mumbai, and at the time it was Bombay, I was able to finish my bachelor's. And immediately uh, around the time I was finishing my bachelor's, I had this wonderful opportunity to come and work in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one of those turning points in my career where I thought, you know, who at the age of 23 would get a job opportunity um, it, to work in the U.S. And I used that to my favor so that I could pursue my master's online mm-hmm. uh, at the University of Florida while um, also working in the community as a therapist. And I did that for a few years. As soon as I got my master's, I was um, very fortunate at 27 to be offered a job as um, an assistant professor at a local community college. And I jumped on it. Mm-hmm. And um Eight years into doing that, I realized I needed a doctorate. And it was, you know, almost serendipity that I found the Hopkins program, which is online again. Mm-hmm. I finished the Hopkins program just around the time the pandemic was sort of settling because of the availability of the vaccines. But as I mentioned to you, the pie path was never linear. It was most dependent on what was available mm-hmm. at the time I was finishing up a program or education and you know how life sort of migrated me to places mm-hmm. almost serendipitously mm-hmm. definitely do you feel that there were moments of um I guess bumps in the road or transition periods from going into the U.S. or going into online school and that sort of thing. And what did what did that look like for you? You know, when when it came to those challenges and the bumps in the road, I was focused enough that once I, you know, one of the things that I did to tell myself that if I'm going to start something, I'm going to finish it. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those things that I kept telling myself that despite the challenges and the bumps in the road, like, for instance, with the doctorate program, I didn't expect COVID mm-hmm. to throw us off the rail for a bit. <clears throat> During my master's, I didn't realize that, you know, because I wasn't going to campus as much, although it was a doctoral program, there were opportunities on campus um, that I could have utilized. Um, but back then, I was not very comfortable driving because I learned to drive on the other side of the road, as they say. <laughs> so, you know... Driving was a big bit of a challenge and language was a bit of a challenge when I moved to the U.S. because I I didn't speak the way I speak right now when I first moved. And, you know, just the part and parcel of being away from home, being away from your, 
your regular routine, people mm-hmm. that you see on a daily basis. That was challenging enough. And then you add these layers of driving, communication, um, you know, just unexpected life things. Um, and that's why I've sort of kept the faith that if I start something, I'm going to finish it, particularly when it comes to academics. And that's been one of those, um, fortunately, a very um, helpful thing for me to keep on going and keep on forging ahead, despite all of the bumps in the road. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really important sentiment to have um, with everything. And again, especially after the pandemic, I think that was something that a lot of us had to internalize that lesson of you just got to stick with it and keep on moving forward. Yes. So um, back into the work that you were doing with your EDD, what was your first job after you graduated? And what did that look like for you um, jumping into a postgraduate workplace and, and and what does that look like for you? So after the EDD, I started teaching at the doctoral level in my profession of occupational therapy. Mm-hmm. And um, I realized that, you know, I could use everything that I learned at Hopkins and sort of look into how there are gaps between um, the way um, things are taught and the way things should be taught. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a term that we oftentimes use in the educational realms that is known as pedagogical content knowledge, Mm -hmm. ECK. So I, in my profession, I may have the content knowledge of what a therapist needs to do while working with patients. And I will be able to work with patients rather easily because I am a subject matter expert in that Mm -hmm. area. But if I lack the pedagogical content, content knowledge, the PCK, then I won't be able to teach that to someone who's new to the profession successfully. Mm -hmm. And so when I transitioned over into the doc program and teaching at the higher levels, what the EDD did for me was to help me understand how I need to bridge that gap between content knowledge and pedagogical content knowledge so that a newcomer in the profession, someone who is entering the field for the first time can go, yes, I get it. Mm -hmm. Because I've attended in my day several classes with medical students, with allied health students, where they're sitting in the class with this deer in the headlight look. Like you could see their hazy eyes and go, yep, half of them or more didn't get it. Mm -hmm. So the instructor kept teaching, the doctor kept teaching. The senior therapist was sort of in their own head while they were delivering the content because they're so seasoned that they worked with patients, they could teach all that in their sleep. Mm -hmm in the doctoral program. And even now when I sit down in my classes and I look around, I'm like, how many of these students are getting what someone is teaching? I almost want to be a fly on the wall to say, this is how I'm going to teach it sometimes when I when I stand on the podium. Because I observe and I have learned so much from my observations. Mm-hmm. It's not always easy though. Mm-hmm. time and practice. Mm-hmm. So how did you go about maintaining this this academia path because you still work in academia now and and what advice would you have for somebody who is also hoping to to maintain and stay in academia um i think one of the things that i knew at a very young age is that despite the profession that i chose um uh, you know i could have chosen to be a pharmacist i could have chosen to be a 
a surgeon, a nurse practitioner, and anything else. But you know, I, I always thought that teaching someone was was a way to ground myself mm-hmm. and sort of to commit myself to lifelong learning. And as 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 someone who wanted to conf- you know continue down the path of lifelong learning, I see myself as a professional um, in healthcare, but I also see myself as someone who is a professional educator because my work in the clinic and my work in the classroom is sort of related. I, I oftentimes look at my patients and go, did they get what I taught them? And that's the same thing when I you know, work with students, I go, did, did they understand what I was trying to teach them? And then I ask them to return demonstrate and I you know, test them and things of that sort. So, you know, there is almost sort of like this emotional connection and almost this sort of a spiritual thing for me that no matter what I do, as long as I'm able to do it, if I can impart that knowledge and share that to someone's benefit, it's not just them benefiting from me sharing my knowledge, but it enriches me. Mm-hmm. And despite all of these challenges that we've noticed in academia, historically academia has never paid practitioners in the educational realm as highly as you would expect. Mm-hmm. But I think for most teachers who've kept on doing it and have maintained their sort of passion for doing what they do, it's almost an intrinsic motivation that, you know, this is like, it's almost like a, a spiritual wealth. It may not let help you have materialistic gains. It may not help you always have that fancy car or the big house that you would want to buy. But it may help your spiritual overall development mm-hmm. in ways that I don't think material gains can measure Mm -hmm. definitely the spread of knowledge and and the way that we all interact with one another I think that it's really important work and so have you experienced any I suppose misconceptions or surprises when working with students or with patients that you then shared with them and taught them and, and what would some of those might be I think one of the biggest misconceptions and, you know, some of the issues that we oftentimes have is that we don't necessarily think of a person's situation. Mm-hmm. You know, we oftentimes as human beings attribute problems in the educational sector or even the healthcare sector to be human problems. So like, you know, if a patient came down with a diagnosis or if a student is struggling, we oftentimes think about that to be a human-centered problem, where, whereas it oftentimes could be a situation-related issue. Mm-hmm. So when I when I talk to patients and I talk to students, I oftentimes now, having the knowledge that I have, try to understand the situational factors that have led to the human error. Mm-hmm or the human problem. So, you know, the, the importance of studying the context and the situational factors that led to the problem or led to the misconception, um, led to these challenges that you and I oftentimes discuss. <clears throat> and, you know, communication theory is one of those things that some of my instructors at, in the EDD program asked me to look into because they 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 wanted us to to sort of share how you know, depending on what someone hears or learns from a particular conversation, if you ask them to teach that to someone else, 
you'll notice that the concept has continually changed mm-hmm. depending on the situation that the reader or the instructor who was delivering was in. And and I have always sort of kept that in mind. Um, and and I, I try to use that as a way to reduce the misconceptions and also to sort of um, shatter the um, issues that we've had with uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion in, in our context, not only in healthcare, but also in academia, that, you know, oftentimes a student's performance or a patient's healthcare outcome is based off of their zip code mm-hmm. and is not related to necessarily their human factors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think that that is something that unfortunately not enough people realize that we're a lot more than than what we are perceived to be or what we're identified by others. We're all our own peoples with a lot of history and a lot of circumstances that impact us, definitely. So mm-hmm. how do you go about um, thinking about the next phases? If there is a next phase for you career-wise, what would that look like? That's a great question. And I think the next phase, um, no matter what I choose to do, is going to um, expect of me to be some sort of a leader or a manager or, you know, sort of head down the road of being an admin Mm -hmm. as an administrator. Um, Whether that happens in the next two years, five years, 10 years, that's again subject to situational factors because mm-hmm. you know a lot of times we we think that I'm going to be here in two years, but it takes longer or it takes shorter. Especially you know given that we've noticed mass resignations at different workplaces in the last year or two, mm-hmm. and then we've also noticed that some of the uh, baby boomers are retiring early because of the stress-induced secondary to the pandemic and more. So, um, so I, I I you know I always think about it from a a very generous aspect is that, you know, I know that they, you know, given my educational background and the expertise, admin management related positions may be calling, but I also know that, you know, <clears throat> being in a classroom, working with students or working with patients where the rubber meets the road is grounding, mm-hmm. is sort of helping me, helping me intervene at a level where good work can be done. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, as an administrator or manager, I can sort of sort of feel isolated in my office. Um, and if I could, even as a manager or uh, an administrator, be a servant leader, mm-hmm. where my goal is to serve people, to serve the population, serve students, where the rubber meets the road, where the educational or intervention is delivered, um, I think that would that would be helpful for me as well as a more meaningful way of having a career um, that helped serve people rather than just myself. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So along those lines of, of service and inspiration, really, our last question for all of our interviewees on this podcast is sort of the grand finale of each episode. And that is, what inspires you right now? 
You know, right now, if you would ask me what, um, I would say that um, there, you know, it, people would have these inspirational figures in mind, like the Dalai Lama or Desmond mm-hmm. Tutu, or someone who is sort of this inspirational, transformational figure as people that they may look up to, look forward to meeting, maybe listening mm-hmm. or hearing to inspire them. But if you ask me what inspires me instead of who ex- inspires me, I think what inspires me is human connection mm-hmm. and our our ability to understand each other, learn from each other, recognize everybody's lived experiences, and then find more common themes than differences amongst us. Mm-hmm. I think that shared human connectedness that sort of is missing sometimes because of pandemic, because of technology, because of, you know, people being people and aloof sometimes um, or self-centered. I think we need to go back to our emotion of connecting with others and then trying to find ways to be patient mm-hmm. and and having faith um, the grace that comes with that because mm-hmm. sometimes we, we we sort of are afraid we lack faith we lack patience and trust um, so you know trying to get back to that um, and the understanding that that's where transformation can occur not only outside mm-hmm. of you but within you mm-hmm. definitely so that's my my little take on what mm-hmm. inspires me no that's a, a beautiful take I, I think that's I definitely agree with that that having some grace and being able to seek understanding with all people and and try to find connections is it's what's going to keep us moving forward and and keep the progress going well, thank you so much for coming on to the Futures Podcast. I really loved working with you today and hearing all of your amazing insight. Thank you so much, Brooklyn. You take care.